0: Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com music for your mind, body, body, and soul. Radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul, BlakeRadio.com. Hi, this is Dr. Daniels and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Lake Rio Network, Rainbow Soul. I am don't I don't hear any sound. Okay. All right. I'm gonna check with my chat room here and see if we if they're getting any sound. All right, great. Good audio. Woof. All right, well, today's Tuesday, June 23rd, Tuesday and 2015, and it is 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and today's topic is the Fall Medical Fashion Show. Now, I have to admit, I'm 58 years old, and when I was a little girl in my teens, every fall, there was the fashion shows, and you just had to watch the fashion show to know, well, how high should your hemline be? And your sleeves, should they be stovepipe or should they be billowy? And uh, do you need a hat this year? And if so, what kind of hat? A wide brim, a narrow brim, and should there be a feather? All these very important questions, because of course, I attended school and one had to look, well, you know, presentable. And then furthermore, of course, I sewed my own clothes. So I needed to know what little touches to add or leave out. I also had to get a little head start, like in August, uh, so I could sew my clothes shows are very important. But even as a kid, I said, man, you know, this is pretty silly. And this is very arbitrary. It's superficial. It's really unscientific. There's not any right or wrong. And there's no evidence or proof that a hemline should be in the middle of the knees, two inches above or two inches below, for that matter. And so I realized this was, at the root of it, a bunch of silliness on the one hand. But on the other hand, you know, you had to look kind of close to mainstream or within some acceptable range just because people would treat you not so nice if you looked too different. So with this, I understood that every year fashions would change. And sometimes I would stick to pay attention and sometimes I wouldn't. And I was so, so very excited when I went to Harvard, and I learned something called science, science. Of course, I took a lot of science courses in high school. When I got to Harvard, it was like, wow, this is it, big time. I'm going to learn objective things. These are facts, things that, that you can count on. Why? Because, well, someone else looked, and they counted. And so I'm learning the, the just the best, most reliable stuff. And So I was very excited, very enthusiastic. And then I got to medical school. Oh, man, now we ginned it up, man, statistics. Yeah, now you take it, count, you multiply, you divide, use exponents. Oh, it was thrilling. I said, this is it. This This is the good stuff. This is the bedrock of reliable knowledge and information, and I can base my recommendations to my patients on reliable stuff. This isn't any kind of mysticism, voodoo, arbitrary stuff made up anything this is real so again I was very excited I was very enthusiastic because so I studied very hard memorized everything and then I sat in these classes in medical school they started explaining things to me like mammogram screenings and how many women you had to screen in order to uh, find one cancer or save one life and breast self-exam other women should be examining her breasts and shower um, they, they tried every day but women wouldn't go for that says so well okay once a month at the same time in relation to your cycle so maybe the first day of your cycle every month or the last day of your cycle every month or something like that so we all these things for breast cancer. So there was the breast self exam, and we were supposed to instruct the woman in breast self exam. We even had special models of breasts that were about the consistency of breasts and had lumps hidden in them. And the woman didn't come in the office and feel this sample breast model and satisfy herself that she found the lumps and she was indeed competent to fondle and examine her breasts looking for lumps. And of course, it was our obligation as a doctor every year to thoroughly fondle every last cubic centimeter of breast tissue looking for the elusive lump. Myself, being female and not lesbian, not you know, particularly aroused or interested, really, in feeling someone else's breath, I, it's kind of like, well, what's the, what am I doing? What's the point of this? How is this benefiting this woman? And what I got was that there was a compelling body of knowledge indicating that this was beneficial. The body of knowledge, of course, which was not revealed to me personally. Um, And therefore, this was the standard of care, and it should be done. And not to do it would be malpractice. So if I as a doctor failed to meticulously fondle every cubic centimeter of this woman's breast, then I would be, of course, a negligent doctor. And if I did not order mammograms, baseline at 40, every two years thereafter, every year after 50, I would be a negligent doctor. So then, of course, I entered medical practice and, of course, things things didn't pan out. And so what we're going to take a look at today is what are the guidelines for breast self-exam? How have they changed? And the fundamental... um, Issue here is well it may be okay or even desirable to change your hemline every fall to stay in fashion I think you may expect and maybe you should expect more from government-sponsored healthcare recommendations you know our health screening guidelines based only on trendy whims and not any scientific fact. I'm gonna let you decide tonight yours is your call we're gonna talk about the drastic change in medical guidelines for mammograms when there has been not any change in scientific data not one So I am not quibbling about whether mammograms are okay. I'm not quibbling over whether the guidelines are accurate or not. What I am pointing out is that there is no scientific evidence to support the position of mammogram screening that was taught to doctors in the 70s and 80s. And similarly, there are many, many facets of medicine where there actually is no scientific evidence to support at all some very invasive, mutilating, and deadly procedures that doctors are compelled to engage in called the standard of care. And so what I'm questioning then is the wisdom of putting your confidence in these recommendations. So that's the fundamental point here. So as people listen tonight, they can to say, well, should I get a mammogram? Oh, shouldn't I get a mammogram? Oh, ho, you've been distracted. So the point here is who is making what decisions about your medical care and how should you decide what process should you use? This is called, uh, these fancy names here, which is second, third, or fourth order thinking. So the first order thinking is walking. The next thing is, where should I walk? The next thing is, well, how should I walk? The next one is, well, why should I walk there? And so this is what I'm asking you to think, not are mammograms good or bad, but wait a minute. Why should I get a mammogram? Who says I should get a mammogram? What are they saying I should get a mammogram? What about other medical recommendations? Are they based on similar, well, I'll call it shaky ground, or non-patient benefit criteria? That would be the word. So if someone is creating something called the standard of care and basing it on something other than the benefit to the patient, so if the thing being maximized by the recommendation is not your personal benefit, then how can a recommendation possibly address your personal benefit? It can't, it wasn't designed to. Okay, so mammogram is going to be our, our classic, classic example here. And, and I want you to try and look at it as a classic example. And whether or not mammograms are okay or not okay, again, I think it's as a, a personal decision a private decision. <coughs> it would be like me telling you what religion you should have or where you should worship. It's a private decision. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about you making a private decision and someone else trying to convert that to a public de- decision that they control and they determine for you. And so if something has no medical, no fact, or uh, objective benefit to you, then it's really your call. You know, like, should I tell you whether you should do one jumping jack or three or any at all? It's a personal decision. So I think mammograms are, your health care is actually a personal decision. But something has, uh, of course, gone off the rails here. But let's take a look at mammograms. First of all, let's, say, let's see what the Swiss say. Swiss Medical Board, and this is April 17, 2014, a full friggin' year ago. Swiss Medical Board says stop widespread mammography screening. Interesting. So they've recommended that Switzerland, so the whole friggin' country, stop introducing new mammography screening programs and phase out existing programs. The group recommends that systematic screening programs be replaced. With systematic screening information and that women make individual choices. Aha. Uh-huh. And they say, We were struck by how non obvious it was that the benefits of mammography screening outweigh the harms. In other words, it's not obvious that the benefits of mammogram outweigh the harms. An independent health technology assessment initiative. What does independent mean? It means it's independent of the folks who make mammograms. Yes and independent of the doctors who get to do surgery on healthy breasts claiming they're cancerous, and independent of the companies that profit from making chemotherapy, and independent from the hospitals that profit from the surgery done on these healthy breasts. So this is what independent means. So independent health technology assessment initiative. And its so recommendations of course are not legally binding. Now this is important. It's important for I think everyone listening to understand it, the solution to what's going on in healthcare does not lie in the legal system, not at all. And it, it does lie uh, in your personal decision-making. So the board actually made these recommendations public in Switzerland in February, which caused an uproar, and they were emphatically rejected by cancer experts. And, of course, cancer experts are what? They are people who stand to profit from every healthy breast that is classified as cancerous, and that is sliced, that is radiated, that is chemoed, and that is surgically uh, mutilated. So at that time, the recommendations were criticized as unethical and as contradicting the global consensus of leading experts in the field. Now, this is, this is important. A global consensus of leading experts is not necessarily consistent, and usually actually is not consistent, with available research, just by the way. And so, the SAS say that they and their fellow board members were unprejudiced precisely because they were not part of the past consensus-building efforts by specialists in cancer screening. So, In other words, they're not part of the rumor mill, they're not part of the, you know, gang of four, They're not part of the uh, medical industrial complex that stands to profit. So as medical ethicist at the University of Zurich, a member of the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine at Harvard School in Boston, is an epidemiologist in the Department of Clinical Research. The other board members are a clinical pharmacologist, not a doctor, a cancer surgeon, nurse scientist, a lawyer, and a health economist. So we're getting further away from the people who actually uh, profit from the actual surgical incision. So a lawyer, obviously, no profit there. Health economists, uh, no profit there. So Swiss Medical Board is appointed and sanctioned by the Conference of Health Ministries of the Swiss Canons. In other words, they're not exactly separate from the government. They're appointed by uh, quasi-government uh, individuals. And so the doctor said people with no expertise (laughs) uh, are the ones who who did this. And so Daniel Kopanis, a doctor and professor of radiology at Harvard Medical School, called them in in an email that he wrote to Medscape. So in other words, this doctor, who's a professor of radiology, who basically the more mammograms that are done, the more money he makes, has a serious bias. And of course, he's calling these people who are looking at the facts people who have no expertise. And he said, the medical board's work is part of study and coordinated stream of scientifically unsupportable analysis of screening mammography published in major medical journals. And so basically, the... There's there's an argument going on here, and one argument is people who don't profit from mammograms should not be allowed to talk about them, and you can see uh, the inherent conflict there. So, however, two other Americans who recently published a systematic review of 50 years of mammography data in JAMA concluded that screening should be individualized. That means you can't screen a woman just because she has two breasts, which means you shouldn't do screening. Because the definition of screening is that you check people who are in no particular risk category. So basically, this is a very convoluted way of saying screening should be stopped. And they believe that the Swiss Medical Board's analysis is praiseworthy. It says this group appears to have done a thorough assessment of the benefits and harms and the author's concerns about the modest benefit of mammography screening relative to the frequency of harm is well-founded. In other words, the benefits are modest. The harm is monumental, especially when you consider, and this is a study done in the United States, that 90% of cancers detected by screening mammography are actually the relabeling of healthy breasts as cancers. In other words, these ladies, had they never had surgery or chemo or radiation, would have lived just as long and probably a lot longer. In other words, the cancer, so-called cancer that was detected, would never have bothered them. This, by the way, is the same cancer that um, Summers had. You know, she had DCIS, and DCIS, as uh, people now understand, is almost cancer. But it's presented to women as cancer. And so, of course, the cure for DCIS is simply leaving, walking out of the doctor's office. And so uh, another doctor says, however, Dr. Pace also says, I don't think the answer is to reject mammography screening entirely. Instead, I feel that the data should compel us towards an individualized approach to screening. In other words, ladies who want to uh, do this should. But I do think that all women age 40 and over should discuss their breast cancer risk. Okay, so that's at age 40 and over, you should talk about it. I personally think that that's pretty harmless. I'm in favor of definitely chit-chatting about it. And holding that discussion should be universal. The Swiss Medical Board in their final report rejected widespread systematic screening and when screening is offered, a balanced review of harms and benefits should be presented. And the deadly consequences of the author's breast cancer screening recommendations to the Swiss government may take years to become evident, they say. citing studies that indicate screening has a mortality benefit. And so, in other words, the doctors who want to continue doing uh, surgery, removing these breasts, are saying, hey, you know, if you stop that screening now, then you're going to notice increased death rates down the road. Maybe in 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, who knows? So everyone is concerned, of course, about the uh, th- this debate. So the final proposal is a call for unified approach to mammography screening in a country where its use is fractured and culturally complicated. In other words, women are not going for it, and so they're, they're having difficulty getting these women to submit to screening. And so they're saying, hey. We cannot give these ladies a choice otherwise even more of them are going to opt out of screening. So three major concerns. The Swiss board mandated by its overmentioned sponsors to review and report on the available evidence on mammography screening. So the three major concerns are first The debate about screening was based on a series of reanalysis of the same outdated trials. They were concerned that the modest, and when you hear a doctor use the word modest benefit, that means it's minuscule, you could probably not find it with a microscope, of screening might not even be found today because modern breast cancer treatment has dramatically improved the prognosis of breast cancer patients. So in other words, what they're saying is our present modern-day therapies are so effective that you don't need to catch the cancer early and that there's not a benefit to screening. So we won't even touch that one. But the point is this. Even if we concede the point, say hey, breast cancer therapy is so effective that you don't need to catch cancer early anymore. Another way of putting that is the outcome is not affected by catching the cancer early. Second, the relative risk reduction of 20% in breast cancer death that is cited by most expert panels comes at the price of a considerable diagnostic cascade. Namely, they worry that the harms incurred by women who do not have any disease outweigh the benefits for those who do. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. In other words, the the harm to those 90% of women who got their breasts chopped off unnecessarily just so you could catch the 10%, Uh, that that's monumental harm, absolutely monumental. Third, they were disconcerted by the discrepancy between women's perceptions of the benefits of menorrhagraphy screening and the benefits to be expected in reality. In other words, women were being lied to. They are being absolutely lied to. And this is the case in the United States as well. And so they cite research that reveals the overly optimistic expectations of the public about screening which in turn injure women's ability to make informed decisions. In the end, these doctors concluded, the benefits of screening do not clearly outweigh the harm. This is, this is key. There's an effort being led in Denmark to end breast cancer screening, he said they and a few associates have managed to get pseudoscientific articles like this one published, even in reputable journals. And so there's a huge effort being led to get rid of breast cancer screening altogether. This is 2014. Well, guess what? Somebody was listening. Somebody was listening. And so what happened on this end of the pond? On this end of the pond, there's new mammogram guidelines. And wow, they're awesome. The new mammogram guidelines say that women should cease self-breast exam. Don't do it. Forget it. This is... Shocking. Absolutely shocking. So, no more breast self exams. The only one fondling your breast should be uh, your most privileged partner. So, there. Now, the next thing is no mammograms before age 50. Ouch. Ouch! No mammograms before age 50. <laughs> That's different from what we were taught way back in the old days. Baseline at 40, and uh, every two years thereafter, and every year after 50. So this is uh, this is awesome. So routine screening of average-risk women should begin at age 50, not age 40. Don't touch those tits before 50, yes. If your doctor starts fondling your breast and you're under 50, you've got to say, whoa, whoa, you're crossing the line, doctor. Oh, hands off. So no routine screening before age 50. And what happens at 50? Screening mammograms every two years instead of every year. Yes. And breast self-exams have little value based on findings from several large studies this is this amounts to a cease and desist order cease and desist that's what i say it's a cease and desist order this is this is huge do you know how much time women will save not scheduling an annual exam with the doctor their annual pelvic they don't need to get the breast mammogram anymore we talked about the pap smear in prior prior episodes you can go check that and listen so These are the new, oh, routine screening should end at age 74. Begin at age 50, end at 74. And we should get screening mammograms every two years instead of every year. But so do the math. 74 minus 50 is 24, divided by two, 12 lifetime mammograms. Wow. The prior recommendations, one would have that many mammograms by the time she was 55. So this is this is a major put on the brakes. But the new recommendations may leave some women confused. Since the American Cancer Society continues to recommend annual mammography screening for all healthy women beginning at age 40. Well, who's right? <laughs> who's right? Now, the key to this understanding is, is that the data has not changed. Mammograms were every bit as beneficial today, which is 2015, as they were ten years ago, so the uh, inaccuracy rate of screening programs, the high, false positive rates, all of this was known and has been known for a long time. but shh, 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 don't tell the women, it might upset them and they might misinterpret it, and they might skip needed screening. Well, I mean, who needs the screening, right? The person who needs a screening obviously is a hospital that needs revenue, the doctor who needs a do surgeon. People, surgery, the people selling chemotherapy, the radiation department has got to pay for equipment. These are the people who need the screening. It is needed screening. But is it beneficial to the health of a woman receiving the screening? The answer is clearly no. Nevertheless, people should be allowed to make personal decisions. Am I going to tell you what kind of hairstyle to wear? Am I going to tell you what kind of shoes to wear? Should you wear sneakers or heels and how high the heels should be? Of course not. Same way I should not tell you whether or not to have a mammogram. In other words, I shouldn't twist your arm and tell you to have a mammogram, but I should not tell you not to either because this is a personal decision. Like me telling you what kind of car to drive. And I think you need to understand that these recommendations fall into that category. In other words, the recommendation to have or not have a mammogram has nothing to do with your health. Nothing to do with your health. It just has to do with where you want to put your breath. And... How you like to feel the mammogram machine this is what you want to do with your time. This is a personal decision. And that's the way it should be treated, a personal decision. (laughs) All right, chat room's getting pretty active here. Oh, by the way, uh, you can join the chat room at healingwithdrdaniels.chatango.com. That's healingwithdrdaniels.chatango.com. And, of course, you can listen. We'll ask questions later on the show at 914-338-0695. three three eight zero six nine five. We'll be taking questions in a few minutes. So, this is this is absolutely huge, 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 big, big, big. Um, and this is not just one thing. This is really exposes the um, soft underbelly, so to speak, of healthcare, which is that a lot of it is simply uh, ritualistic. Um, behaviors, gestures, and activities um, that are literally choreographed to create um, a flow of money, to create a level of disability, and really to create a whole culture of control. Control, of course, of the patient and control of the patient's pocketbook. When I was in medical school, I tell you, as I looked around at, at what I saw going on in the teaching hospital, I was like, whoa, this is a problem. How do you get people to voluntarily line up and spend their money on this kind of stuff that has, like, no benefit? How do you do that? I mean, if someone's got a choice between going on a family vacation or getting tortured for a week, how do you get them to pick a week of torture? And the answer is, of course, you don't get them to pick. You force them to. You, you pass laws like Obamacare. You, you shroud this in the elder protective act, you shroud this in, in child protective, you ch- shroud this in the government's overriding concern for the protection of the individual, when actually, of course, it's simply a protection of uh, those who have more influence over government than you or me. So the, the issue then with, with mammograms, is that they are no more or less beneficial than buying a Mercedes or, or a Maserati or whatever. It's, it's a personal decision. And you need to accept it like that. It's a, it's a personal decision. It's like your doctor saying to you what kind of underwear you should wear. Well, this is none of this business. This is a personal decision. You want a mammogram? Great, get a mammogram. You don't want a mammogram? Don't get a mammogram. You want to find... Well, Your breasts, fondle your breasts. You want the doctor to do it for you, okay. You want your your partner to do it for you, well, that's your choice too. So these are just simply choices. None of them are necessarily going to make you any healthier than the other in terms of if your breasts are fondled and who you decide should do the fondling. Let's take a look at another uh, emotionally charged set of recommendations uh, for people. And this is a – someone in the chat room beat me to it. They put the word anal down here. Yes, colorectal cancer screening. Yes-aree, Bobby. Colorectal cancer screening. And this is from Medscape. And these are the people, I mean, pro-doctors. If my former hairdressers used to say, you hear me? You hear me? These are the doctors talking. These are the doctors who make the big bucks detecting cancers, and this is what they say, colorectal cancer screening may influence death risk. In other words, it also may not. In other words, we don't know. In other words, there's no evidence. So let's take a look and see uh, what they say. Higher rates of adenoma detection may cut the lifetime risk for colorectal cancer incidence and death in half, according to a new study. Now, key, may according to a new study. So the study didn't prove that it could, but it did. It just said, well, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Like two farmers are looking up at the sky saying, oh, it could rain. It's possible. It's possible. But that's not, you know, scientific. I mean, are these farmers taking out health insurance? So whoever is right about predicting the rain gets a check for it or, or something, you know? It, it may be, uh, again, we're talking. We're in the realm here of, of personal Decision, personal choice. We're not in the realm of compulsory evidence of effectiveness. And this is this is a, this is shocking because they based the existence of benefit on a micro simulation model of a U.S. population co- cohort. What does that mean? It means they made it up. It means they took a bunch of numbers of their choosing, put them in a computer with a bunch of formulas, clicked go. And boom, 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 a bunch of numbers came out and said, oh, my God, this is it. It's proof. It is proof that colorectal cancer screening is is possibly beneficial. Notice, even though they picked the numbers, even though they wrote the formulas and the algorithms, when they put all these numbers of their picking through this algorithm that they made up, they could only get an answer saying colorectal cancer screening could possibly Reduce death risk. Okay. So you have to understand the method, right? <laughs> it wasn't like a human being was involved. They didn't take a bunch of human beings, you know, screen this group, don't screen that group, see how their outcome is, you know. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Took a bunch of numbers, put it in the computer, press the button, click, 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 a report came out and like, oh my God, we discovered it. Here it is, here it is, right here. Okay, so let's see what they found out. And again, these are the people who were, you know, scientists. So the lifetime risk for colorectal cancer incidence and risk for mortality were 32 per 1,000, anywhere from 25 to 43, and 13 per 1,000 among unscreened patients. And on average, 19 per thousand and 3.8 per thousand among screened patients. So, the 34.2 is a confidence interval. That means we don't really know that it was 34. It was really between 25.9 and 43. And then the other group they're comparing it to, which is the screened group, We say it's 19, but we don't really know it's 19. It could be anywhere from 14.3 to 24.8. And 24.8 is pretty darn close to 25.9. Yep, especially when you divide it by 1,000. So even with the computer simulation model, they had two outcomes that were not substantially separate. And so the modeled risk were inversely related to the level of adenoma detection. In other words, the more numbers you detected, lower the risk. Okay, now well, there you go. But the point is, the simulated lifetime risk of colorectal cancer and death per thousand among patients of physicians whose screening colonoscopies were in the lowest detection rate was 26, and the simulated lifetime risk of colorectal cancer death was on average 12.8% lower for every 5 percentage points increase in physician uh, physician screening. So if you screen, so if you increase the screening by 5 percentage points, then you only get 12.8% points benefit. Well, the, the problem with this, basically the bottom line problem with all their analysis, this is their numbers, not mine, is that the benefit to an individual of getting screened was they might live two weeks longer. On average, people who got screened will submit it to being sodomized on an annual or biannual schedule, whatever schedule a doctor chose, on average would live two weeks longer. And this is a, this is, this is amazing. And so you have to ask yourself, as an individual, is this really worth two weeks? And so they felt that with screening, they could get up to 34.4 additional life years saves per 1,000 patients, which represents about 10 years per prevented cancer death. Look at it in English. If you get colon cancer, what they're saying is you'll live 10 years from the day of diagnosis if you're screened, which is kind of outrageous because what if the screening is just detecting the cancer earlier and the doctor's just watching it for 10 years instead of, say, three years if it was detected later? And so basically, it averages out to two weeks per average patient. Derives from screening. That's not a lot. That's more than the life lost from doing the harsh prep prior to the colonoscopy and doing the colonoscopy itself. So If you say each time you get a colonoscopy, you're going to lose two days of your life just from getting a colonoscopy the day before, which is your prep, and the day of is two days of your life you lost. And then you get a colonoscopy every year. Once you've done 10 years, you've already lost 20 days of your life. You already lost more of your life than what you could have possibly gained or what you can reasonably expect to gain from the screening if you're so lucky as to be detected, treated, and, uh, and benefited. And so, of course, uh, they need to do few more research to assess more things and to determine whether increasing colonoscopies and adenoma detection would be associated with improved patient outcomes. So this is, uh, this, is, this is shocking. This is really shocking. So you have a, a procedure, even if you didn't have any complications of colonoscopy, let's just wave a magic wand, no complications. You've lost more days of your life submitting to the procedure than you can expect to gain for the maximal benefit from the procedure. And so the question is, why is it one year colonoscopies are recommended and next year they're not recommended and similarly with mammograms now man, is darn near hands off my my breast policy you know no breast self exams no mammograms before age 50 and at age 50 every other year and stop stop at age 74 my mother's 83 and i think a doctor recommended a mammogram for her just, just three or four years ago i said mom that guy's a pervert but they had different guidelines back then back then the guy was well within the standard of care to recommend such a thing so now these guidelines are are out and you know what's intuitively obvious has become a part of the standard of care and i remember when i was practicing by this in the 90s that's when you did the first screening mammogram at age 40 and then you did every two years until 50 and then every two years the poor lady dropped dead a doctor was actually prosecuted and uh, lost a malpractice case because he missed, failed to detect a breast cancer if he didn't order a mammogram. So it's just like the fall fashion show. Arbitrary, capricious, hemlines change, hemlines go up, hemlines go down. So the question is, are you going to be a part of that? Are you going to allow the... Uh, Fall medical fashion show to determine whether you get a mammogram, whether you get a colonoscopy, whether you get a vaccine. Because I tell you, the evidence of benefit for all of these things is equally strong, or another way of saying it's equally weak. And so whether or not these things get put forth as a standard of care has absolutely nothing to do with their actual documented benefit to human beings, uh, then that would be you, human beings. And so it's an issue of arbitrary and uh, capricious guidelines. And so the question is why Why would uh, someone even recommend such a thing? And who, and who is recommending this? It's another thing. You know, we doctors don't even know where these pronouncements come from. And they're always shrouded in some uh, doctor or some human being who has a medical degree behind their name writing this stuff. And, you know, a lot of doctors write, read this stuff and say, man, this is, who, who could – who could?" Uh, Who's writing this stuff? Because if you're a doctor in a trench, you actually seeing patients you're like, this is not what I'm seeing. This does not reflect what I observe to be the case. So it's very, very important to resist these things. Now, someone asked me in the chat show. But I, I've got to uh, address it. I think it's really important. So Dr. Daniel, thank you for recently focusing so much on debunking the system. I used to get upset that instead of talking about natural remedies exclusively, you just talked a lot about the system. But I'm starting to realize that it's not until we understand the system that we can really have confidence and appreciate why it's so important to focus on natural remedies. Just knowing the helpful medical tricks are not enough. You have helped me evolve my thinking. Thank you. Okay. This 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 is key because you can know every single natural cure for everything. You can be the most erudite individual. If you submit to a mammogram and end up being diagnosed with breast cancer from a screening program, that's going to wipe you out. Wipe you out. Wipe you out economically. I don't care if you are a millionaire. Wipe you out in terms of your social life. I mean, I I have a client who's got her breast cut off. She's got a hysterectomy it's, it's, it's gruesome. It's awful. Why? Because she did a breast self exam and found a lump and it just started her on this incredible nightmare odyssey. And of course she's very naturally oriented, you know, into natural therapies. But the thing is, if you get caught up in this, it's like, it's like walking into a, a wood chipper, walking into a meat grinder or getting caught up in a tornado. And you're not lucky enough to be standing at the eye of the tornado where everything's gone. so, You've got to first say no, and and it is filled. If you look at history, it's filled with natural healing gurus who had one encounter with the system, and boom, they died. And this is is this is definitely the case. For example, my mother's 83, right? Everyone in our family died before the age of 60, and they all, by the way, died with total, complete medical care. You know, all this stuff they tell you about blacks, you know, not having any money and no medical care. Nonsense. So all of her family, every one of them, died with the uh, assistance, supervision, and intervention of medical care. And uh, they died at varying ages, uh, 60, 55, 44, 21, 3, 30. You get, get the gist of this, right? So my mother, of course, obviously, should she submit to medical care, chances are very good that she would die very quickly, just like everyone else in her family did. So that is, that's the urgency of it. And when you've got a hazard that's responsible for 880,000 deaths in the United States every year, that's responsible for 40% of all the deaths in the United States, and you're not willing to avoid that one hazard, it almost makes any other precautions just ridiculous. Just, you have to laugh. I mean, that's like uh, buckling your seatbelt every time you get in the car and then deciding that you're going to jump off a cliff without a parachute. It's, why, why bother to buckle your seatbelt? So you've got to take care of the biggest threat to your health. And right now the biggest threat to the health of any citizen in the United States is the health care system itself. Okay, so let's see. Let's take a look. at some. So we're ready for questions right now. I've got a few more minutes here. I think we've got 10 minutes to be precise. Okay. What about whether or not chemo is administered in the case of a five-year-old with an anaplastic astrocytoma? Is it necessary? Okay, again, you need to take a look for the particular cancer. The research is there. What's the survival rate? And if you take a look at the survival rate, you'll find that the survival rate uh, with or without chemo is not substantially different. The question is, you know, what does a five year old need? You probably need some peace and quiet. Okay. Do dental checkups throw up false positives too? Dental checkups not only throw up false positives, but they create problems. So if you have a dentist, for example, putting fluoride in your teeth, what he's doing is, you know, gently creating work for the next time around. Mm-hmm. I Okay, so let's go up here. We got that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about the idea of, of making um anal uh, penetration. More socially acceptable. Exactly. This is an important concept because it has to happen in order to get more compliance with colonoscopy. Um, you know, allowing something like that to be introduced into your rectum, it just takes a tremendous amount of uh, emotional acceptance. Um, a programming, I guess, is the word. And I guess it has been enlisted. The media has been enlisted in terms of music and movies and radio shows, to get a higher level acceptance. I mean, I've even heard people down here in Panama in a community of people who are between the ages of 60 and 85, basically. And people saying, well, you know, I've got to get my my annual um, colonoscopy. It's my duty. I've just got to get this done. And, And they just get themselves all all. Worked up for it, screw up the courage, you know, and set aside a whole day. And it's a whole, you know, it's not easy to uh, go through uh, the harsh laxatives that you need to do to get ready to clear your colon for a colonoscopy. And so, yes, that is what they do. <laughs> and so, one person says, I don't, I do not plan, to, I didn't plan to go for my annual physical next year but I almost want to just so I can remind the doctor that according to new guidelines, I don't need to take off my bra. <laughs> don't do that because depending on what standard of care your doctor is following, I think your doctors are allowed to stay a, a few months out of out of date, so to speak. Um, you know, you just don't need your doctor putting in your electronic health records that you are a refusenik or somehow a dissident or uncooperative. Um, these electronic health records, that's the whole radio show itself. Um, have not proven to be of any benefit to the health of patients, in fact, even worse. There's a lot of problems with them, and they've really resulted in a lot of negative health outcomes. So the purpose of the electronic health records is, is to put you under surveillance. So the less information you give your doctor, the fewer the, the encounters you have with your doctor, uh, the better, because uh, the system now is set up. You think... Uh, you're being spied on with other things, oh man, the electronic health records, you haven't seen anything yet. That's exactly what that is. It's a direct report to the government of your most personal habits and what's going on in your life. All right, we have a question here. Let's see if I can hit the right button. Mm-hmm. My computer is a bit slow. So while my computer is going, or thinking, oh, here we are. Um, while my computer says, Hi, are you there? Hi, Hi, you're on the air. Do you have a question? Nope. All right. So uh, I understand that you all will call the 58th Rescue Squadron, based over uh, Stark Bell in Afghanistan, to combat search and rescue. Yes, ma'am. To and you're still playing together. Yeah, we are pretty tight over there. I'm break up the family. So, do we look like family? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I guess we got some bad audio there. All righty. Let's go take a look back here at the uh, chat room here. All right. <laughs> Katie Couric. Uh, The news anchor has a husband who's dying of rectal cancer and promoting rectal screening probably has caused more damage than she even realized. Um, I think news anchors have all caused more damage, and I think they are beginning to realize that. And they realize that it is their job to create an illusion, a construct, a false reality for their audience to live inside of. And so this is simply Katie Couric's opportunity to continue to do her job 24-7. So I don't think that she would be thinking of it in terms of promoting anything damaging. She's just simply continuing the construct of this make-believe world for the viewers. Dr. Daniels, where can I get enema supplies? Believe it or not, usually you can get them from your local Rite Aid drugstore, or you can just go online on Google enema bag, and they have them on Amazon pretty reasonably priced. Okay, so there's a. Uh, okay, the bird could have lived on a cat. <laughs> All right, great. One of my 21 year old now, can you repeat the answer you gave about the five year old and chemo? Okay, so the, the five year old and chemo basically is that you should research the actual literature about the chemotherapy. Most likely, what you will find is that there's not a substantial difference in survival with or without the chemotherapy. And so the real issue you have is uh, the quality of life for this five-year-old person. Um, The other issue, of course, is natural uh, therapies. That's an option. But you need to really take a look. When I was, at the end of my medical practice, uh, I should say before the government caught up with me or when they were catching up with me, um, there was a big uptick in pediatric cancers. and so People come to me with their kids, and I would just research the everything about the cancer therapies that they were being offered, about the cancer in question, and without fail, um, it really came down to there was no evidence that what they were being offered was going to help. The other thing you take a look at is, you are never told by the doctor that this is going to work, whatever it is. You're told, well, you have a 15% chance. Well, I got a 10% chance. Well, you got a 30% chance. Basically, the doctor's inviting you to play at his casino table. And that's what you've got to come to grips with. And you have to ask yourself where you shake out in all this. You know, what's what's your, uh, your feeling on it? You know, what, are, what are you going to do in terms of your inclination to gamble. And what are you trying to accomplish? So you've you got to answer those questions for yourself. For example, for a kid, maybe you're trying to live long longer, to reproduce. And then you, at least you've got one more generation, you know. Or maybe you're trying to give this kid as many pain-free days as possible. You've got to really hone in on your goals before you uh, jump in to say, hey, should I do this, should I do that? But you've got to... Uh, know focus on that all right so next week is 50 ways to leave your lover and we got an an awesome awesome sale going on it's a dr jennifer daniel forward slash vitality capsules i'm sorry back in stock sale so let me get that for you so if you're not on the, the mailing list you got it so you can get this uh, notification. So it's drjenniferdaniels.com forward slash back dash in dash stock dash sale forward slash. So that's drjenniferdaniels.com forward slash back dash in dash stock dash sale. And this sale will be going on until midnight on Thursday. And then prices will increase. And extra strength as well. Okay. That is great. And I will see you next week. 50 Ways to Leave Your lover.